Welcome to Poetry Lectures, featuring talks by poets, scholars, and educators, presented by PoetryFoundation.org. In this program, we hear Italian poet Patrizia Cavalli and American poet and translator Jeffrey Brock speaking with the director of the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute, Ilya Kaminsky. Patrizia Cavalli is the author of five volumes of poetry and is considered one of the foremost living Italian poets. She is also well known as a translator of drama and has translated Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, Othello, and The Tempest into Italian. Cavalli lives in Rome. Jeffrey Brock's poetry has been published in numerous journals, and his first book, Weighing Light, won the New Criterion Poetry Prize. He is also active as a translator of Italian poetry and literature, and is the editor of a new anthology of 20th century Italian poetry. He lives in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where he teaches creative writing. This conversation took place at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago in October 2012. We'll hear poems by Patrizia Cavalli, Umberto Saba, and Sandro Pena in both Italian and English. The program begins with Cavalli discussing the anthology edited by Jeffrey Brock, in which the poems are translated by multiple translators. The fact that there are many different voices is very scary and also very interesting because you have to go switch from one sound to another from a point of view, syntactical, grammatical, lexical point of view to another. And then it can help you to get loose of your sense of property, let's say, your sense of to hold of what is your poems, because there are so many voices they are going to take your poems and do it whatever they want. Sometimes very, let's say, obedient. Sometimes they do absolutely what they want to do. But also it's very interesting not to understand my poems, but somehow to understand the poets, the other poets, the poets, the American poets who did translate my poems. They became to me more understandable through my poems than if I would just read them. So it's much more interesting for me to understand. I can understand better their poems. That makes me think of some of the reasons why I decided to use multiple translators in my anthology, and and not just multiple translators, but multiple translators for each poet. And I think you sort of suggest a couple of the different reasons, almost contradictory reasons, contradictory effects or something that that happen when, when you have multiple translators for a single poet. I guess my goal in doing that was was twofold, and I wanted to make the readers consider the translations as poems in their own right, and the fact that most of the translators in my anthology are well-known poets in their own right, I hope will encourage readers to, to read their translations as poems in English, while at the same time reminding them, because there are so many different voices for each poet, reminding them that they're translations as well. In a way, I wanted to focus their attention simultaneously on the fact that they're poems in English and also versions of this other poet. Uh, so, for example, for Montale, I have many different translators, including Samuel Beckett and James Merrill and Jeffrey Hill. And I very much want each of those translations read as a poem in English. And yet the reader will also see that these are all Montale poems. And, and so what does that mean to hear these three different voices that are all some aspect of Montale. Would you perhaps consider sharing with us some of these voices spoken by different translators? Sure. Um, 
Patrizia, do you want to read the oh, yes, with pleasure. Italian? Italian. Um, it will, maybe we'll read a couple of poems by Umberto Saba. Yeah. Um, the first one we'll read is, is one called La Capra, or The Goat. And, uh, and we'll, I'll read my translation of that, and then perhaps we'll read uh, another Saba poem in someone else's translation. La Capra. Ho parlato a una capra. Era sola sul prato, era legata. Sazia d'erba bagnata dalla pioggia belava. Quell'uguare belato era fraterno al mio dolore. Ed io risposi, prima per Celia, poi perché il dolore è eterno. A una voce non varia. Questa voce sentiva gemere in una capra solitaria. In una capra dal viso semita sentiva querelarsi ogni altro male, ogni altra vita. The goat. I've spoken to a goat. She was alone in the field. She was tethered, sated with grass, drenched with rain. She bleated. Her steady bleating brothered my own grief. And I replied, at first in jest, and then because the voice of grief is one unchanging, everlasting note. That was the voice moaning out of the solitary goat. Out of that goat with its Semitic face came grievances regarding every evil from every throat. The next one is a, a short a quatrain by um, a late quatrain by Saba called Amore or Love. Ti dico addio quando ti cerco, amore, come il mio tempo e questo grigio vuole. O oh, intera all'ombra della terra il sole e il cuore d'un fanciullo senza cuore. Love. I say goodbye when I approach you, love, as my age and this gray would have me do. There was the shadow of the earth and sun, and oh, the heart of a heartless boy in you. And I think this poem may make a good transition to uh, another poet, Sandro Penna, who is another one of my favorite Italian poets and an inheritor of sorts of Saba. So I'd like to start with a poem translated by Simone Di Piero from a collection of Penna translations that he published uh, in the 1980s, I believe. And uh, this poem does not have a title. I'll read the English and then Patrizia will read the Italian. Life is remembering a sad waking in a train at dawn, seeing the tentative light outside, feeling in the broken body the bitter virgin sorrow of the piercing air. But remembering the sudden release is sweeter, a young sailor beside me, the blue and white of his uniform, and outside a sea all crisp with color. La vita è ricordarsi di un risveglio triste in un treno all'alba, aver veduto fuori la luce incerta, aver sentito nel corpo rotto la malinconia vergine e aspra dell'aria pungente, ma ricordarsi la liberazione improvvisa e più dolce, a me vicino un marinaio giovane, l'azzurro e il bianco della sua divisa e fuori un mare tutto fresco di colore. This is another poem by Sandro Penna from the 1930s, also without title. It's good to find yourself in a strange neighborhood. A guy in coveralls passes you on the sidewalk. 
You think about his life, the dinner that awaits him, the weary bicycle he's pushing by his side. You keep on walking down that strange, infinite road, and all you ask of life is to stay the way it is. È pur dolce ritrovarsi per contrada sconosciuta. Un ragazzo con la tuta ora passa accanto a te. Tu ne pensi alla sua vita, a quel desco che l'aspetta e la stanca bicicletta che gli posa accanto a sé. Ma tu resti sulla strada sconosciuta ed infinita. Tu non chiedi alla tua vita che restare ormai com'è. This poem does have a title. Uh, this is a translation of mine, and it's called Interior by Sandro Penna. The doorman wasn't in. The poor disheveled beds shone in the light. An urchin was sleeping on rough boards, gorgeous, nervous. A kitten leapt from the cloud of his arms. Dal portiere non c'era nessuno. C'era la luce sui poveri letti disfatti e sopra un tavolaccio dormiva un ragazzaccio bellissimo. Uscì dalle sue braccia annuvolate esitando un gattino. Now let's um, talk about some of Patrizia Cavalli's poems and maybe as an introduction to those poems I could ask her to tell us the story that I've heard you tell before about how you became a poet, a story that has to do with meeting uh, the, the great Italian novelist Elsa Morante in the, around 1970 or so, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Some, somewhere around there? Yeah, I was studying philosophy. I was uh, go to the university. Finally, after a few years, I was in Rome. I was introduced to her, and I started seeing her practically every day, although she was much older than me, and but she was very generous. And then... Uh, I started meeting all sorts of people which I uh, didn't know because I was uh, very alone. I knew only two people in Rome and then nobody else. After I met Elsa Morante, my life has changed and uh, become a kind of happy life. And she, because she was sort of at the center of Rome's literary Well, not really literary or, community you know? because she was a little avoid the official community. Yeah. But of course, let's say all of the good writers, very intelligent people passed by Rome, they would come to her. And she was seeing mostly young people theater, actor, painter. She was not in the academic, also uh, literary. She, she was, she did it before, but uh, nevertheless, I knew all of the best people. Uh, I knew her uh, through her. I knew them through her. And so I had this wonderful life being with her, talking with these people, going to lunch every day. And then suddenly after a year of this, uh, uh, knowing one another, thinking that my studying at the university would be enough as a reference to her, as a, something which, uh, how would you say, common... Um, justified your existence yes, or something. Yes, to justify my existence. I was studying philosophy, I was intelligent, I, was, <laughs> I had a lot of qualities. But then suddenly one day she looked at me, with a face strange, a little minacciosa. Menacing, menacing or threatening. As you say, but you, what do you do, in fact? And I felt there was push on a wall. I felt that really I had to answer something. And comes to my mind, something was true and not true in the same time. You say, oh, well, I write poems. I write poetry. 
thinking that that would be enough. And then she looked at me uh, with the even more minacciante, menacing face. She said, oh, yes, oh, do you write poems? Oh, good. Well, just let me read them. Not for literary reason, just I want to know how you are made. Of course, this was destruction for me because, you know. <laughs> destruction or distraction? Destruction. Yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel ruined. I feel ruined because, you know, if somebody tell you you are a bad writer, okay, pazienza. But if somebody tell you you are madly, you are made badly, <laughs> you are a monster. I can see how you write and you are a monster. But of course, for her, it was not a psychological inquiring, but it was something even more dangerous because for her, language was a real a way to understand what is the core of a person, how the person is made, you know. So it was even more dangerous. So after it, it took me six months, was avoiding her. And then I hoping she will forget. She was saying, oh, so where are these poems? So I was not going anymore for, to lunch. I was not doing any of this. Suddenly, because as soon as I start copying them, these poems which I've been writing for many, many years, I realized they were nothing. They were nothing. They were fake. They were imitation. It was the idea that, that she would see them that changed the way you saw them. Yeah, because yeah. I, as soon as I saw them from that point of view, with a real point of view, I realized they were nothing. And I was desperate. I said, oh, my God, now I have to be a poet. What should I do? So it was a kind of uh, spiritual exercise, it was a kind of prayer in which I had to be there and listen to whatever could have been my real voice, knowing that she could not be tricked, and to find whatever it was real in my voice. And after a while, I bring to them uh, some you know, 20, 40 small poems, thinking that short would be less dangerous. And then uh, after half an hour, she called me up. She said, oh, I'm so glad, Patricia, you are a poet. So I had such relief, which was not a literary relief, was just a daily human practical relief, you know. Whatever came after for me was nothing, really. Even the fact that I published my first book while being very young with a very important publisher, it was nothing. Nothing, because the good already happened. You know, whatever was after was kind of normal consequence without really very... You, I remember you, you told me once that bef even before you had met Morante, you'd, you, you'd been a, a huge admirer of her writing, and, and yes. you, you particularly liked the way that she saw her characters in yeah. her work, that yeah. she, this sort of penetrating vision... Uh, with with which she exposed her, her characters, and that you, having read her, wanted to be seen by that gaze, and and that and that you actually later met her and got the chance to be seen by that gaze, and that it, it transformed you. It was a dangerous gaze, though, yeah, yeah. because it could see things that nobody else would see, in good and bad. Right. So it was uh, she she could see something which you felt alive. And then after a while, she could see something which you are dead. You are gone. So it was real as somebody who gives you life and gives you dead. But not only me. Everybody was going looking for her because, you know, if you read a book, you see that she was seeing things that nobody else 
could see. Of course, this is was wonderful, but also very dangerous. In other words, it seems to me you had to write poems in which you could stake your life. And could you perhaps read for us a couple of the poems in which you feel that you can stake your life? Let's maybe read some of the very old poems, the one that, uh, that Elsa, for which Elsa told me, uh, oh, Patrice, I'm so happy you are a poet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then also let's read also the other one in which I thought I'd become a poet. Allora, per riposarmi mi pettino i capelli. Chi ha fatto ha fatto, chi non ha fatto farà. Dietro la bottiglia i baffi della gatta, le referenze le darò domani. Ora mi specchio e mi metto il cappello, aspetto visite, aspetto il suono del campanello. Occhi bruni, belli, addormentati, ma d'amore non voglio parlare, l'amore lo voglio solamente fare. I comb my hair to unwind, ready or not, here I am. Behind the bottle, the cat's whiskers. I'll send off those references later. I put on a hat, look in the mirror. I'm expecting a visit, expecting the doorbell to ring. Those sleepy, dark, lovely eyes. But no love talk, I can't take it. As for love, I want only to make it. Anche quando sembra che la giornata sia passata come un'ala di rondine, come una manciata di polvere gettata e che non è possibile raccogliere e la descrizione, il racconto non trovano necessità né ascolto, c'è sempre una parola, una paroletta da dire, magari per dire che non c'è niente da dire. Even when it seems that the day has passed like a swallow's wing, like a handful of tossed dust that can never be regathered, and no description, no story is needed or heard, there is always a word, a small word one can say, if only to say there's nothing to say. Okay, these are later. We are moving to the later poem, because although that one, I, I'm not crazy for... Vado ma dove o dei? Vado ma dove o dei? Sempre al bar, al ristorante, nei musei, a ciondolare anoressica o bulimica, sempre tra le due madri, quella che mi ama falsamente e mi vorrebbe privare di ogni cibo e l'altra che mi ama falsamente e mi vorrebbe uccidere di cibo. E io costretta a uno dei due eccessi, o l'astinenza o l'incontinenza, e intanto guardo il bel viso di un ragazzo sempre lontano dai miei veri amori, spinta al turismo da cerberi, infelici viaggiatori. And this one opens with a line quoted from a famous Mozart aria. I'm going, but where, oh gods? always to cafes, restaurants, museums, swaying, anorexic or bulimic, between, as always, two mothers, this one who loves me falsely and would deny me all food, and that one who loves me falsely and would kill me with food, and me forced to choose one or the other, starve or binge, and meanwhile I'm staring at a boy's beautiful face, so far from my true loves, hounded into tourism by these wretched, roving watchdogs. 
this is even more recent. Grave determinata ogni mattino dopo le mie notturne rovinose con cupo zelo ripasso la lezione, quella della sorte e del destino. Ma perché non imparo? È tutto così chiaro. M'hanno offerto anche ieri un'occasione. Ma queste due entità, però, com'è? Che hanno sempre qualcosa da insegnare e perché a me? Questa affannosa solerzia pedagogica, questa smodata dedizione a me? Beh, non ci credo. E fosse pure vero che mi lasciano in pace. Non sono fatta per andare a scuola. Era che non volevo essere sola. Grave and determined each morning after my disastrous night games, I review the lesson with grim zeal, the lesson of fate and fortune. But why don't I learn? It's all so clear. Just yesterday they offered me a chance. But how is it that these two entities have always have something to teach? And why to me, their exhausting pedagogical industry, their exaggerated dedication to me? Well, I can't believe it. But if it's true, let them leave me in peace. I'm not cut out for school. I simply didn't want to be alone. One thing that I remember about this poem is, is that It's talking about disastrous night games. And when I first read it, I assumed that it was, it was another love poem. Uh, but then when I was speaking to you about the translation, it turns out that the disastrous night games referred to poker, right? Actual games, gambling. Yeah. Yeah, it was about poker, about this. But, it, but what's, what's the difference? Uh, but there's not a very big difference <laughs> <laughs> between love and poker. More or less, you know, love, poker... Love gambling poets, poems, they have something in common. First of all, they are obsessive, the three of them. And second, they very much have to do with chance. Chance and is, is the an intelligence of chance, how you can manage what it's offered to you. One thing I'm, I'm not, I'm still not um, happy with this translation that one, one of the things that the, the Italian ends with a an exact rhyme on scuola and sola, and which sort of, I think, undercuts the, the pathos in Italian. The lack of pathos in Italian. Yeah, yeah, yes, and without that rhyme in the translation, it somehow, I don't know, it, it feels like it needs the rhyme there to undercut that, but uh, I haven't figured that out yet. Because sometimes rhymes are more important than their meaning, you know. When you translate poems, at least when I do translate, I, I did translate very few poems, you know. I translate one two or three of uh, Jeffrey, and then I translate one poem or two of Mark Strand, some of Emily Dickinson, and then uh, just uh, Shakespeare. Well, and you translated Midsummer Night's Dream, and you translated all those, all those rhyming uh, yeah, couplets oh, oh, of Shakespeare into rhyming, of course, performable rhymes in Italian. Because in a Midsummer Night Dream, rhyme is exactly what is Midsummer Night Dream. Mm. It would not exist Midsummer Night Dream without the rhyme, because rhyme is the demonstration of something totally fake, totally artificial. So since everything is in a kind of artificiality, it, there would not be this mise-en-scene of love, you know, of love and delirium without the rhyme. It would be something naturalistic. It's totally anti-naturalistic. Is so. it because the tone and rhyme go hand in hand? Or intensity and rhyme go hand in hand? 
No, no, it's a matter that wherever there is a rhyme, you start doing some kind of discorso, discorso, but as soon as there is a rhyme, the rhyme closes up and made a kind of relationship with whatever was before or after. Mm -hmm. So it's a punctuation, it's a pause. We tell you, listen, it's not really true. I am playing. You know, I'm playing and I keep up all of the discourse, all of the moving of the thoughts, not in a uh, naturalistic way, which you, you never know where you are going. You know where you are going. And there is this kind of sonority which keep everything together. And inside that, you can do whatever you want. The program concludes with three short poems by Patrizia Cavalli, who reads in Italian. Geoffrey Brock reads the English translations. Piccione zoppo, ridicolo piccione zoppo e storto. Se hanno difetti gli animali, subito somigliano agli umani. Limping pigeon, absurd limping crippled pigeon. When they're defective, animals suddenly seem human. And then this one. Sono diventata molto saggia. Dico saggezze una dietro l'altra, facilmente, molto facilmente, le dico e le dimentico, posso dimenticarle perché ne ho sempre un'altra. D'altronde io non sono mica il tipo che risparmia. I have become quite wise. I say wise things one after the other, easily, so easily. I say them and forget them. I can forget them because I always have another. And besides, I am scarcely the sort to economize. And so having, having read that uh, amusing uh, poem, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll end on a, on a downer. Um, <laughs> so, um, Just the contrary. Yes, uh, this, the, the, the opposite sort of mood here, uh, equally short. Le strade sono calde, le voci ingombrano. È marzo ormai, di nuovo marzo, come fosse ieri. I morti avanzano, anzi, scompaiono. Troppi morti, infatti, e non c'è neanche guerra. Morti perché si muore. The streets are hot, the voices in the way. It's March now, March again, like yesterday. The dead are advancing, indeed vanishing. Too many dead, in fact, and not even a war on. Dead because we die. That was Geoffrey Brock reading English translations of poems by Patrizia Cavalli. Ilya Kaminsky was the host of this conversation, which was recorded at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago on October 12, 2012, as part of International Poets in Conversation, and was sponsored by the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute. A collection of Patrizia Cavalli's work is available in English as My Poems Will Not Change the World. Her work is also included in several anthologies, including New Italian Poets and Contemporary Italian Women Poets. Jeffrey Brock's poetry collection, Weighing Light, was published in 2005. He is the editor of the FSG Book of 20th Century Italian Poetry, an anthology, which was published in 2012. Brock's other translations include works by Umberto Eco, Roberto Colasso, and Cesare Pavese. You can learn more about Patrizia Cavalli and Jeffrey Brock and read some of their poems by visiting poetryfoundation.org, where you'll also find articles by and about poets, 
an online archive of more than 10,000 poems, the Harriet blog about poetry, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from PoetryFoundation.org.